0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Worth Your Time. Uh, This week, I'm talking with Anafi Wahed. She is the founder of the Flipside Newsletter, which is a daily email newsletter that analyzes and gives you information from both sides of the political aisle, so liberal and conservative. This is a really cool venture that kind of came to Anafi's mind after she worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016 and started to realize that the two sides of the aisle were just not listening to each other. They weren't understanding one another. There was just a lot of uh, misconceptions and a lack of conversation. And so she had this great idea to start this newsletter so that people could easily get um, information and smart analysis from both sides of the aisle. Now, since she started the newsletter, it has pretty much exploded. Um, She has written a couple op-eds for the Wall Street Journal about what she's doing. She's been on multiple news appearances. She's a sought after speaker on issues of um, co- conversation and compromise and civil dialogue, all things that are so interesting. And what I love about Anafi is that she is you know, a self-described liberal. That, that is her political belief, but she is so interested in having conversations with people she disagrees with and, 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 in, and in meeting people in the middle and helping us all find a way to come together and be able to have real conversations, make real change and respect each other at the same time same time. So it was so great talking with her about some of these issues. You know that I'm invested in this idea of civil conversation as well. And the flip side, I'm so excited for her. She's taking this venture on full time. Um, I think after you listen to our conversation, you're definitely going to want to subscribe. So enjoy this conversation with Anakia Ahead. Okay, well, today on the show, we have Anafi Wahed. Welcome to the podcast, Anafi. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. What are you up to today? Ooh, great question. I
1: have over 100 unread emails between oh. my uh, various inboxes.
0: So my goal for the end of this weekend is to be at zero. So are you the kind of person that, so you are the kind of person that deletes all the way down to zero. You don't just like, it doesn't just pile up and pile up and pile up. Normally, it doesn't. But in the past few
1: weeks, it has. Um, It's actually it's some of it is uh, correspondence I really need to answer. But some of it's just interesting articles or newsletters that I still haven't had a chance to
0: read that I really, really want to read. And so I leave it unread. So eventually, I'll get to it. Isn't it so hard? There is so much to read and especially doing what you do, which we're going to get into. You have to stay (laughs) informed on that stuff. Exactly. Um, Well, I'll I'll let you know that my inbox says the number something like, I don't know, 35,000 right now. So that's the kind of person I am. (laughs) Oh, two kinds of people. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I want to talk with you today and about the flip side, which is a daily newsletter you created to showcase news and opinion from both sides of the political aisle. That's what I want to get to that. But before we get to that point, I want to learn, you know, talk to you a bit more about your background, how you got where you are today. So I know that you are a first generation immigrant from Bangladesh and you grew up in New York City. First of all, I want to know what was it like growing up as a kid in New York City? That just seems like that's That's totally bizarre to me.
1: It's so funny. Um, so my first op-ed was uh, published in 2018, uh, so, so last year. But actually, I did write an op-ed when I was eight years old in a Bengali newspaper, a local Bengali newspaper in Queens, New York, about my experience coming uh, from Bangladesh and looking at the big buildings. Um, and I wrote, it was a letter that I was writing to my cousin in Bengali that my aunt took and actually uh, had it published in the newspaper because she thought it was so amusing. So I'm talking talking about um you know all the strange things like girls wearing pants that was not something i was used to mm-hmm. uh, in 1998 in bangladesh and i'm talking about um i don't know if i put it in, in my letter but um everyone talked about how much they loved pizza but the only time i had had pizza was the school cafeteria which is obviously awful and so <laughs> yeah. i could not understand why everybody loved pizza because i had
0: never actually had pizza <laughs> yeah So you moved it to New York when you were like eight years old. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And so was that, this is probably an obvious question, but a little bit of culture shock, I'm assuming. Absolutely.
1: But uh, it, it, it was that it wasn't, Um, you know, my, I had family here already. So uh, my mom and I uh, moved here and moved in with my uh, aunt, uncle, and cousin. And so I knew that I was moving here for a bit. um, But my, concept of America was obviously very limited. So my aunt would send me candy from the States. So the first thing I did when I got to America was eat all the M&Ms I could possibly eat. Um, (laughs) Because the only time I could have that is when my aunt sent a package to me from Bangladesh, uh, from the States uh, back to Bangladesh. So um, at first it was really exciting, you know, all of the different foods. And I remember riding on the subway for the first time. That was amazing. Um, You know, at that time, I thought, "Oh my God, this is so cool! I feel like I'm living in a sci-fi movie." Um, But then, you know, I got to school and I couldn't speak English, and I was in ESL, and so that was that was difficult.
0: Um, Yeah, how long did it take you to learn English? I know it's easier for kids, but right. Right.
1: Um, So I, I mean, I I knew some English, um, but definitely wasn't fluent, and I definitely, you know, reading. Books um, at the third grade, fourth grade level was really hard for me. Um, so I would say it took me definitely uh, through fifth, sixth grade until I felt like I was fluent, I, until I felt like I could, you know, converse with my peers sort of just off the cuff. I remember uh, memorizing uh, the lyrics to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and <laughs> trying to learn English. <laughs> so now uh, when I do karaoke, those are my go-to songs, Oh yeah for everyone all of
0: my friends <laughs> I that's probably was a, a very common tactic for for many young girls exactly. that were learning English at the time uh, well you you certainly learned it you learned it while well. you ended up going to Bryn Mawr College which that's an all-female school right yes, yes now I'm curious how you decided to go that route because you know there's just a few uh, colleges in the country that are you know exclusively female so what led you to to choose that? Place to go? Oh gosh, what a great question. Um,
1: so I I actually chose Bryn Mawr not because it was a women's college, actually in spite of the fact that it was a women's college. Mm-hmm. So uh, during my college search, I knew I wanted to go to a small liberal arts college that was within a two to four uh, hour radius of New York City. I wanted to be able to come home on the weekend, but not be so close that I, you know, had to come over all the time right? right. what (laughs) have you. I wanted just enough distance. So um, that narrowed down my search. And also I was one of those weird kids in high school who knew exactly what I wanted to do in college. I knew I wanted to double major in economics and psychology. And so I was looking at those specific programs when I was looking at colleges. Um, And it happened to be that Bryn Mawr had excellent departments um and uh when I went to visit, I had really great conversations with the professors. Uh the campus was beautiful, the dining hall was amazing, um, the dorms were amazing, and I was smart enough to know that even though obviously, oh, it's all about the college atmosphere, but things like dorms and food really matter because you're there for four years. Right. And so all of those things uh combined, plus Bryn Mawr was very generous uh with their financial aid. Um, I was a scholarship kid uh, throughout, uh, still graduated with student loans, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> it could have been much worse. Um, and so, yeah, I went to Bryn Mawr uh, because of those reasons. Um, but actually, looking back on it, being in a uh, mostly female environment was actually really empowering, um, especially because I went from Bryn Mawr to working in finance, which is uh, you know, male-dominated. And it, it was in, in some ways, a uh, very different culture shock, right? I knew nothing about sports. So at any time someone was trying to talk to me about, oh, did you watch the game? I had no idea what they're talking about. Um, but it was really good for me to be in a space where it wasn't weird for me to speak up. It wasn't weird for me to have leadership positions so that when I went into a male-dominated industry, i never you know felt shy about speaking up in meetings or correcting someone if they said something incorrect or um all of those things that I noticed in my uh fellow female uh peers in the financial industry that wasn't a common trait um and whether or not it was a self selective type thing where there uh, there's a lot of sex self selection um uh, into women's colleges. So uh, only 2% of the uh, college population, does, uh, female college population, attends women's colleges, but 20% of Congress and female CEOs and other executives have attended women's colleges. So oh, there is that the stuff that's so interesting. Um, but it does sort of give you that uh, confidence, and it's not weird for you to you know, be leading the charge because. You know there just isn't that quote unquote competition from the other gender no, but it's a zero something um but it, it's definitely
0: something had an it's an experience that has had a continuing uh impact on my life in a positive way I think that is such an interesting stat that you brought up in terms of how how many people that are in those leadership positions went mm-hmm. to all female colleges I had never yes thought of it that way now Hillary Clinton won- went to Wellesley yes I did know that I didn't know <laughs> that my sister was just in Boston uh last week um uh, running the Boston Marathon and she took a picture because oh. you're supposed to when you're running the Boston Marathon you're supposed to kiss a girl at Wellesley and, <laughs> and she took a picture like kissing a random girl on the cheek while she was That's running the awesome. marathon so yeah I was thinking about that the other day <laughs> um but it must have been such a crazy change to go from all these women to working in this male dominated financial industry. Now I assume that you must have majored in a in a finance um area, economics. Economics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you and so your was your job in New York City? It was. Okay, so you, were you involved or interested in politics at that time when you were in college Not or even all. maybe before? <laughs> you weren't. Okay, so what Not led you all. to be interested in politics? It's,
1: so funny! I to this day I can't give a coherent answer to that. Um, I mean, I've always been aware of what's happening in the news. Um, so, so the aunt uh, that I grew up with in New York, she was a journalist in Bangladesh for twenty two years. Um, very passionate person, um, and I grew up hearing stories about uh, all of the, you know, various things she did as a journalist to try to get to answers, right? Um, especially Bangladesh only became a country in 1971. Hmm. And so uh, they're literally learning what freedom of the press looks like and living it and uh, shaping it all at the same time. So growing up, her uh, hearing her stories were fascinating, uh, but it wasn't a uh, sort of interest that I thought I had. Um I, you know, I watched CNN and I watched The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, uh, all that, um, but it became increasingly clear, um, my four years working in finance, that I did not want to work in finance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was it that you didn't like? Um, part of it was the culture. It's a very uh, work hard, play hard culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm all for working hard. But if you're working hard for a client who's kind of a jerk and doing projects that you don't think are meaningful, then that hard work starts to, um, you know, really get to you. Yeah. Um, Part of it was just, um, in the beginning, it was interesting because uh, I started working at the FDIC, which was really cool and really interesting because I got to learn about regulations and how all all that works and how the financial crisis came to be. And that was really interesting. And then I went to Ernst & Young um, to do regulatory consulting, and that was really cool because then I I was looking at it from the other side, like looking at it from the lens of the bankers who have to then uh, implement those new regulations and and all of the trials and tribulations that come with that. So I think my experience, my four years in finance, were uh, spent really wisely, uh, unknowingly to me at the time, um, both the regulator side and the consultant side. But at some point, you know, once I had learned. Uh, you know, oh, okay. Uh, once I had learned about the financial crisis, once I had learned about the financial products and instruments, then it became very technocratic. Mm-hmm. Um, the content, once I had, it's sort of like, oh, okay, I already learned about this. Now it's just a matter of doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And especially as you move up in the corporate ladder, it's less about the content work itself. It's less about actually you building the Excel model that's going to determine. Uh, whether you 're in compliance, your portfolios in compliance, and more about managing people and uh, managing clients and managing other stakeholders and I just felt those th- those meetings were all so dull uh,
0: <laughs> so was it was it your understanding of wh- how things work in finance and how maybe political policy could shape some of that or Did you get interested in politics more on the cultural end where you saw what was happening across the country? You know, 2016 election Mm -hmm. was on the horizon and you thought there's something where I could find meaning. Absolutely. I think it was a combination of all of those things. Um, It was the summer of 2016. So
1: it was everything was Hillary and Trump and Hillary and Trump. And living in my very liberal bubble, I didn't know a single Trump supporter um, in July 2016. (laughs) Right. The Republicans I knew in New York were all voting for Hillary. um, And Trump was just this big joke and no one took it seriously. And um, I think the only reason I took it somewhat seriously is because. Um, I heard stories from my aunt about how easily things can turn for the worse Mm -hmm. um, from her experience in Bangladesh. And then also seeing actually from her time in the 80s and 90s in Bangladesh, um, 70s and 80s actually in Bangladesh to now when um, freedom of the press is actively being threatened in Bangladesh and um, how that uh, public sentiment had changed and so quickly, so rapidly from the beginnings of the democracy of Bangladesh to uh, what is increasingly becoming authoritarian uh, government uh, in there now. And so I took Trump seriously. And to me, again, having been very much in the liberal level, I thought he was a real threat uh, to our nation. And I thought, wow, I'm really unhappy at my job. Um, here's the thing that's happening. I find myself, you know, ignoring work emails to read what's going on in mm-hmm. politics. Why don't I go do something about it? And then partly it was I honestly still thought Trump, Hillary would win. And I just wanted to be a part of history and be a part of something meaningful. Did you
0: have ambition to, I know some people when they go on the campaign trail, they have this in mind, to potentially work for the administration? Uh,
1: I had no such plans. Um, I definitely thought of uh, working for the Hillary campaign as you know, doing my small part uh, to make sure that Trump didn't become president, to become part of history, and just to have a different experience. And then I actually expected uh, myself to uh, go do something else, though I had no idea what that something else would But you be. felt, you
0: must have felt really just kind of trapped in that world to give up a well paying job to yes. go work for a campaign that I can't imagine was going to offer you much money no it was
1: I, I don't even know if it was minimum wage um, <laughs> but it i yeah i genuinely i honestly it was it's a privilege to be able to do that right it's a privilege that I had of being 25, of being financially secure, having paid off my student loans, having some savings that I could make that decision. I had no obligations, I had no partner, no children, or anything, and I could just say, you know what, I am going to spend four months knocking on doors mm-hmm. um, in New Hampshire um, instead of, you know, take, thinking about my career. Um, I think that's such a uh, privilege that I uh, had that you know my mom thought I was crazy (laughs) Uh, but um, at the end of the day she you know she thought it was cool that I was
0: uh, working for the Hillary campaign. Well if you can't do it when you're 25 and no kids you're never gonna do it so that's definitely the time. Now did you find that you were more was it more about being passionate about Hillary and what she stood for or more about being fearful about Trump winning? Oh, that's a great you're asking really great questions. Well thank you. That makes um, me happy to know that you think that.
1: <laughs> um it's really funny. I'm very politically confused. Um and I've always been that way. So in in the primary I actually voted for uh, Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. um because I found um his talking points um uh really worth listening to. And I think like many, uh, young millennials, I, I felt inspired by Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not a diehard Hillary fan. Um, at the same time, I think she, um, is a wonderful leader and, um, did a fantastic job as secretary of state as the first lady, um, and had, has had many accomplishments. So, you know, um, and, I I don't think I would have gone to work for her had it had Trump not been the GOP nominee. So right. so I do think it was uh, a, a Trump was a large factor in my decision. Um, I think I genuinely found him to to to, to be terrifying, frankly. And that was what propelled me. I you know, I didn't want to wake up on November 9th and not have done anything to stop him on the off chance in my mind that he did somehow uh, secure the presidency. Well, so
0: that that leads me to my next question. I always I kind of like to ask people this. When Election Day came that year, mm. I, I, like many people, like myself included, I woke up assuming the end of the day was going to be President Hillary Clinton. Did you have right. that same assumption? Yes, oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Um,
1: the New Hampshire office, you know, we had so much alcohol. All the volunteers were <laughs> going to show up. We were going to have a huge party. It was going to be amazing. At what that point in the day did you realize it might not turn out that way? Oh, my God. We were so delusional. <laughs> I was at 9:30
0: p.m. thinking, "Oh, wow, this is really interesting." That's and, about the time I started thinking that as well. <laughs> I remember I was sitting on my couch and I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> right, exactly. That 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 worry finally started to kick
1: tick in. Um in the beginning, you, you know, we were just booing as each state uh results were coming in like and but but still, you know, not worried. And um Robbie Mook gets on a conference call around ten or eleven. That was when the writing was on the wall. Mm. Um, lot of tears. Yeah. Uh, so, Did so you cry personally? I oh I cried for a week. Really? Um, yes. Um, it was actually um, it was it was devastating for multiple reasons. Uh, yeah. one One, it, it worked so hard, and I genuinely felt like. Um, The campaign had given it uh, their all and, you know, how could we lose? And then it was that I genuinely worried about our nation with Trump um, at the helm. And um, then, of course, there was that sort of personal uh, crisis of, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Um, That I think would have happened either way. Right. Again, I didn't I never had any um, aspiration to go into politics itself. Um, But I I don't know, I guess somehow I I thought if Hillary was president, I would figure out my career. There was no correlation there. It's just (laughs) in your head, right? It's it's when your expectations are uh, completely shattered that everything else comes crashing down too, I think. Right,
0: I I mean, and it's like, you know, you went on the campaign, you're like, this is what I'm doing now. And it's when you're leading up to something as monumental as a presidential election day, it's hard to think beyond that when you don't know what's going to happen. What
1: is interesting though is uh, from my time uh, deciding to go to the campaign, then throughout the campaign and then afterwards, um, my view on Trump and and where we are as a nation ha- had shifted dramatically. So, um, like I said, right, Trump was a big factor in why I decided to go work for the Hillary campaign. But once I got to New Hampshire and was actually talking to Republicans, conservatives, um, uh Whatever other label uh, people uh, use to to mean not liberal, I, I think there are Republicans who are conservatives and conservatives who are not Republicans. You know, you know, it's right. It's all. Yeah, um, I was. I, I mean, they had good reasons for supporting Trump, some bad reasons, some mediocre reasons, right? And there was a lot to talk about that the media simply wasn't covering. That the talking points uh, that we were given were not uh, sufficiently addressing, and it was really those conversations uh, that made me uh, realize that this is not about Trump, that this is actually much bigger. It's about uh, where we see ourselves uh, in the future. We as a country, uh, we as a united group of people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It was so fascinating. You know, there'd be people who would say to me, oh, you know, I I don't think uh, Muslims should be allowed in this country. And, and but I was I was able to have really genuine conversations with them and um, sort of to tell them about the Islamic faith. I, I'm not a practicing Muslim, uh, but, you know, obviously I, I grew up uh, learning mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, people face to face are very different from what the media tells you, what Twitter tells you. And were they uh, receptive when
0: you're like somebody that...
1: I mean, to my face, yes, you know, whether or not they went away being like, oh, my God, this annoying Hillary <laughs> staffer talked at me for an hour. Yeah, I don't know. But um, it was it it was really interesting because um, just the way you're asking, you know, really interesting questions, I would always say, you know, why do you think that? And then they point to the terrorist attacks. They point to very real things that happened. Mm-hmm. And then so then I would try to disconnect right. the uh, religion from the terrorists and then disconnect Um, what Muslims coming to this country means from uh, the the national security concerns, right? Like, okay, it makes sense that you want people who have been vetted. um,
0: That's not crazy, right? So it's like, yeah, like a lot of times people don't really necessarily, like once it's kind of broken down, it's almost like, Exactly. Okay, yeah, like I can get on board with that, but it, but that requires having real conversations and actually exactly. taking the time to right. respect and exactly, you know, offer like dignity to people.
1: And I think where uh, some people go wrong is uh, th- 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 there's that knee-jerk reaction and obviously it's un- it's an understandable knee-jerk reaction. Oh, that's Islamophobic how dare you, right? right. And I mean, yes, uh, that is an understandable <laughs> reaction. Um, but I think the first step first step to uh actually getting somewhere with someone who has that mentality is to say, yes, there is a correlation between um, terrorism and a specific religion. There's no denying that. But let's look at the long arc of history and all of the ways in which Christianity and Judaism and uh, various other religions have been used for despicable atrocities. And actually, you know, at the end of the day, um, and I learned this uh, taking a psychology course on terrorism. It's it's yes, religion is a convenient tool, and that is what is being used in some parts of the world. But it, it at, at the end of the day, the problem is very uh, simple in some ways. It's disenfranchised young men who have nothing to do, nothing to live for, and so they think they could at least die for a cause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing we see on um, the alt-right and the white nationalism that's bringing up and increasingly becoming a problem. It's, it's disenfranchised young men who have nothing to do, and they are uh, susceptible to radicalism, right? The, radicalism is the, the process of radicalism is the same, whether it's Islam or the alt-right or you know, all of those other things.
0: Yeah. And so when you
1: think about it in those terms, then the conversation changes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you were already starting this journey of kind of understanding the other side, even before election day came. Yes. Um, I realized throughout
1: the campaign that the Uh, Yes, you know, Trump was problematic and I was obviously doing everything I could to make sure he uh, isn't elected. But the problem that we were having where the two sides were so much in their camps and couldn't fathom having conversation is because we were not only geographically separated, but digitally separated. Right. You can basically curate your own reality if you're on Twitter and Facebook and block everyone who doesn't agree with you and only follow the commentators you already agree with.
0: Yeah. And so you, to kind of fast forward a bit, it, Election mm-hmm. Day came and went, and then you had this idea that you, as a self-described liberal person, mm-hmm. you were going to go to <laughs> CPAC, which is, for those that don't know, CPAC is the largest conservative, basically activism <laughs> conference in the country that happens every year in Washington, D.C. Um, and it's not a place that you would expect to find a lot of liberals or Democrats. Um, so what gave you that idea and how did you end up there? Yeah, so that was actually, um, in 2018. So.
1: Um, in 2017, after my week of uh, crying and going, to a, uh, going through a whole soul-searching phase, I had started the newsletter already and sort of grown it bit by bit. Just It started with 16 friends. And then by the end of 2017, I think we only had, what, 500 subscribers. Uh, again, it was friends and friends of friends. And by this time, I had found my uh, co-founder, uh, who is a staunch conservative. Um, and he and I argue every day. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, but um, it was really... The beginning of 2018, where I decided, oh, I do have something here. Um, after the election, um, I worked so hard to really inform myself of conservative viewpoints to learn what the uh, Republicans were thinking and uh, how they view. You know, recent events. And it was a fascinating journey. And I thought, wow, you know, my liberal friends are continuing to live in this bubble, even though Trump is not president. And if anything, it's actually led them to become, uh, you know, sort of more ensconced in the bubble. And how can I fix that? And so, uh, having uh, the flip side uh, really sort of become a big part of my life, I decided, oh, okay, it's nice that I have, you know, a few close Republican friends at that point, but I really need to go into the lions then, right? Right. So I went to see PAC and it was amazing. I thought yeah, I should hear it from the uh, horse's knot. So I heard Trump speak, um, give his lock her up uh, uh, <laughs> slogan. Um, and, but, but genuinely, I had an, a really great experience just talking to people who vehemently disagreed with me, um, but having those real conversations face to face that uh, you can't really do ever on social media and even um, in other m- modes of communication, it's not the same.
0: Yeah, you mentioned in your. So you ended up writing an article or an op ed in the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal, which congrats on that. That's like a huge goal Thank of you. mine is to get an op ed published <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal. Did you just kind of think, hey, I'll pitch this and see what they say? Or how did that end up? How'd you end up making that happen? It's so funny.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, I had this amazing experience and I, um, you know, w- wrote down uh, my thoughts after uh, just. Um, the thought was really I want to communicate to people that um the people we vilify in media, right, the people you see on the daily show, um, are not actual they don't represent the vast majority of either party. Um and New York Times actually recently ran a piece on how uh the Democrats on Twitter versus Democrats and uh the, the true uh sort of spectrum of Democrats are not the same, right? Uh, you have extremist voices that are taking over and um you know, if I am able to find uh, 99 out of a hundred people uh, who are staying at CPAC, um, then you know something is amiss. Something about the way we are receiving information is amiss. Um, And I just wanted to talk about that experience, and it, it was serendipity. I was at a, a, a media event, um, the Online News Association event, actually O.N.A. In, in New York City, when I ran into one of the editors at the Wall Street Journal, and I was telling him about, oh, I just got to see back, and I worked for Hillary, and he said, oh, this sounds like an amazing story. Are you writing about it? And I said yes, and he said great, and he gave me his card. I sent it to him, I think at 4 a.m. that night, <laughs> and he just wrote back two sentences. Oh, this looks good. Here are my edits. We'll take it for Friday. And I oh said, my gosh. To take it. What what does this mean? And I had this like heart attack. Oh my god, it was a surreal experience.
0: That is first of all, <laughs> dream of mine. It that was <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. And so then how did it come out right like 2 days later or Yeah, exactly. It was just that. And so I sent my mom a text, "Hey mom, make sure to
1: buy the Wall Street Journal today." And she said, "Why?" And I said, "Well, look on, you know, XYZ page."
0: Um, it was, it was the coolest thing ever, honestly. <laughs> and so you, you know, I of course read the op-ed and you talk in there about how you felt very welcomed people, you know, you would had no problem telling them, of course, that you were liberal, but they were like really interested in talking with you and open to hearing your thoughts. And, and you kind of did a comparison to what you thought might be the case. Um, if the tables were turned and a conservative went to, um, mm-hmm. What's the big event that... uh, Um, Netroots Nation. Netroots, yeah, yeah. Like if a conservative (laughs) were to show up at Netroots Nation, not that you were wearing a a piece of clothing to uh, identify yourself, but wearing an Amaja hat, for example. Um, So tell me a little bit about that. I think um,
1: it was true to a large extent before the Trump election, and I was very guilty of it, and it's gotten worse since. um, and, and, And I still continue to be guilty of it from time to time, where... Uh, liberals do have a tendency to uh, frame uh, conservatives in a certain way. Um, we think of conservatives as being ill-informed or uninformed, right? We have there's this notion that if only conservatives turned off Fox News and watched CNN all day, they would all become liberal, <laughs> um, and and that's just not true. Um, there are different ways of thinking, different values. Um, I'm re- I'm a great admirer of Jonathan Haidt, who wrote. Uh, mm-hmm. The righteous mind, and he founded the Moral Foundations Theory, which says that liberals and demo, uh, liberals and conservatives have uh, genuine differences in the values and priorities that they hold dear, and. To simply say, first of all, to simply say that uh, you know all, tr- all Trump supporters are racist is just false, right? 206 counties uh, voted for President Obama twice and then voted for Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump actually received a smaller share of the white vote and a larger share of the black and Hispanic votes compared to Mitt Romney. Um, That's so, to so pretend, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So to pretend that uh, you know Donald Trump is a white supremacist and everyone who uh, voted for him is you know racist or racist adjacent or what have you is is a, a uh, huge simplification at, at best. And at worst, you know, you're making um, our country, uh, you know, divide itself and um, just increasing the already acrimonious partisan um, environment that
0: exists. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just so many um, potential reasons for why someone would have voted for Donald Trump. Right. And, uh you know, of course, I'm sure there are some racists out there. There definitely are some yes, racists out there, yes. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, it's this is kind not of, to say that you know there aren't quote unquote deplorables that live amongst <laughs> right, them. right? This is true. right. That's everywhere you go. <laughs> but um, but just to write people off in that way kind of really just uh, avoids all substantive conversation exactly. about policies that they might have been concerned about. So exactly. that makes sense. Um, and and so. You at this time you had you said you'd been running the flip side your your op-ed came out <clears throat> I then I saw that you had a couple appearances on Fox they picked mm-hmm. was that right after the op-ed it was and since then they've been kind enough to ask me back from time to time now did you have any interest from the other side um, other media outlets
1: shockingly it's been much harder to get on liberal uh news channels <laughs> yeah. um I've it's uh and i did I, I think there are you know a plethora of reasons for why that is um i i okay i'm going to say this only because it was such a negative experience that i don't mm-hmm. feel bad bad mouthing him yeah i met brian stelter for five minutes yes. um uh, he's one of the anchors on CNN, for those who don't know. And he basically just yelled at me the entire five minutes uh, because, you know, he thought it was a crazy that the flip side puts CNN on the left. Um, CNN is <laughs> objective, we are not biased, et And et cetera. And I, was, and I just, I kept trying to say, Brian, at the least, there's wide public perception that that is not the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just wouldn't have it. So um, there's a lot of uh, resistance from some members of uh, the liberal media who think that the flip side is uh, creating a false equivalency um, or what have you, which if
0: anyone actually takes the time to look at our content, they will see that we are not, right? Right, yeah. I I mean, I feel like you should be – I feel like you need to get a slot on Morning Joe. Come on. They they should have you on. That's what I (laughs) think. If you know anyone, I would love to be on Morning Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they – act like they try to be balanced there sometimes. <laughs> um, well, and then on the other side of that is is friendships and relationships with people that you know. Um, what kind of reaction did you get from your fellow liberals about the flip side? Did you have any? Um, I know you had some negative because I heard you talk about that. Was there any right. positive? Right. Um, I mean, I've had so
1: many positive reactions. Um, I love when my uh, friends who I know are very liberal and uh, genuinely uh, um, uh, are very pr- progressive and um, very active in democratic politics. Uh, say to me, I love opening the flip side. It always uh, uh, is interesting to hear the other viewpoint. Or when my friends say, Oh, I start I started reading the National Review and now I read it even if the flip side isn't linking to it because turns out they have smart things to say. I'm like, Yes, yes, they do. Um, so. Uh, it's been really gratifying to get that feedback because I know these are passionate, thoughtful people. Um, and if they find value on the flip side and they think uh, you know, we're doing a good job highlighting intelligent viewpoints from both sides, that means we're doing a good job um, but yes, to your point, uh, I have had a, a couple friends who have actually, uh, who are no longer uh, my friends because they, they think I've sort of gone off the deep end and sold my soul to the devil. Do or they think you. that
0: you're like being a traitor to the left in some way? There is that sentiment. Yes. Uh, Because you're kind of criticizing the left for not being at, you know, opening or as welcome. And you don't, uh, so far, at least I'm not hearing you criticize the right on that point. Although I did see in a presentation you did, you know, you said 40% of Democrats and Republicans, both sides, think that the other party is a threat to the nation's well-being. So clearly, you know, both sides here are at (laughs) fault in this uh, throwing blame and not listening problem. Exactly. Um, It's really funny that you point that out, you know, uh, so let me just say that
1: I think there are problems on both sides, but I, as a liberal, as a fellow progressive, as someone who worked for the Democratic campaign,
0: feel feel more comfortable criticizing my own side than I do the other side. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I um I listen. One of my favorite politic or podcasts is a is called Church Politics, and it is with mm-hmm. two um, Democrats who are Christians, and so they look at things through the lens of their faith. Mm. Oh, um, very interesting. And I love listening to them because they're kind of doing what you're doing. I mean, they do it to the right too, but it's so sure. it's so, you know, it's almost like you can trust that opinion more because they believe in, in exactly. the Democratic Party, and so when they criticize the Democratic Party, they're doing that not because they're trying to get Republicans to win; they're doing it out of good faith because they want a better Democratic Party exactly
1: and my co-founder Jihan, you know regularly criticizes the right you know we have lots of healthy debates about each of our own sides and what they're doing wrong and what we think you know should be happening and it's not you know etc so um yeah to a certain extent you know i feel more comfortable obviously criticizing my own side because uh at the end of the day right i am still learning uh conservative viewpoints and um trying to make sure that i have the best possible arguments on the right that I that I could possibly find right it, it's sort of a journey right um
0: yeah and- now, now I want to ask you about how the flip side is put together you said you mm-hmm. had, I think you said you have like something like 15 contributors or you did uh, uh 10 right now 10 and so yeah. How do you narrow down? How do you say, okay, these are the viewpoints we're going to put in? Because cause I, I glanced at today's or yesterday's, mm-hmm. I think, and, and it looks like you're kind of focusing on one main topic and then yes. presenting multiple viewpoints um, on that. How do you end up saying, okay, this is going in and this isn't? Yeah that's a great question. So
1: we have uh, uh yeah around 10 contributors right now uh who are liberals, conservatives, uh libertarians, uh what have you, moderates and we are very careful a, about picking our contributors, right? We want a diversity of opinion. Um we want everyone from um Trump lovers, to sort of the people who voted for Trump holding their nose, to the never Trumpers, uh, to sort of center left, to uh, to the people who think Bernie does not go far enough, right? Um <laughs> Because that's how we're going to make the best product uh, for our readers. And uh, the first thing we do is we pick a topic, right? So we only cover one topic a day because we don't think um, in a five-minute digest it's fair to cover more than one topic to really get into the nitty-gritty of uh, more than one topic. So um, the topic choice itself can be biased, right? Uh, As you can imagine, for the past two years, one side always wanted to talk about the Mueller investigation. and the other side, always wanted to talk about the economy, um, so what we choose to cover is it's in and of itself a choice that can uh, lean one way or the other depending on how often um, certain choices are made. So, so are you the one that makes that decision or how did that, how it's do you decide? A, it's a team discussion. Mm-hmm. So all of our contributors and the reason it's so important to have that diversity of opinion is that um, for Uh, you know, my liberal contributors who mostly have liberal friends, their Facebook is filled with the Mueller investigation. So they're saying, this is the most important thing out there. How can we cover anything else? And then, you know, one of my conservative contributors will take a screenshot of his Twitter feed, which is talking entirely about something else, right? So that's why it's important. Um, In addition to that, we also have other tools we use to see what social media is talking about on both sides, to make sure that we're not giving preference to one side's topic choices over the other. Um, So once we make that decision, then um, we all go out and we read everything that's out there uh, on the topic. We don't have algorithms. We, uh, you know, take advantage of RSS feeds and what have you. But it's human eyes. It's all of us going out and reading Um, our own side, the other side saying, ooh, this argument makes a lot of sense. Ooh, the left, I think, will like this argument. Oh, this is not going to make sense to the right. How can we find a different quote that makes the same point, but uses it, uh, but makes that point in a way that the other side can actually understand? Because even the jargon is different, right? Um, So, um, and then, yeah, every single uh, op-ed we cite has been read by at least one liberal and one conservative uh, Mm. member of the team, uh, to make sure that there's nothing uh, egregious in it, that we wouldn't feel comfortable sharing with our readers, that you know it's factually sound, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And so you have really grown this newsletter. You started it way back when you said, you had the, what was it, the end of 2016 that you had 500 subscribers? Uh, end of 2017. End of 2017. So I'm sure you've grown by leaps and bounds since then, and so much so that you are recently kind of have taken this leap to pursue it full time. Yes. Yep. So we have, um, uh, nearly 14,000 subscribers just
1: via word of mouth and earn media alone. Um, so, y- so you're you know, not doing any ads
0: or anything right now.
1: No, nothing. Um, it's just been word of mouth, my media appearances, my, uh, op that have really gotten us, uh, to, uh, the, the nearly 14,000 people who are uh, opening our emails, um, every day. And so I finally decided that if I wanted, uh, to grow this, I needed to focus my full-time attention. So after the Hillary campaign, and after I started Flipside, um, I uh, was working a part-time at a financial counseling nonprofit. Um, and that that was interesting, you know, I was doing data analytics, um, business development, um, and um, it, it, it was something to pay the bills while I uh, was deciding whether or not uh, the Flipside could become a full-time thing. And, uh, you know, two years in, I thought, wow, if if I don't think it's something now, you know, at what point there's there's nobody to tell you yes, this is it. Now it's yeah, a thing, right? <laughs> right. And so I just decided to make that decision for myself. Um, and say you know what? No, this is a thing. I'm going to uh be the CEO of a media company. Um, in a time and age when media companies are shutting down, it's
0: fine. This is this is not at all an existential crisis. <laughs> so so now I'm curious. Well, you just this just happened, so yes. you kind of yes are probably figuring yes, it out you're catching me at a very weird time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So no need to have you know, final answers to this question. Right. But um, moving forward, how do you think your day today is going to look? Are you looking to add components to the newsletter or to the to the company in general? And also, mm-hmm. are you partnered with any other organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. So um to
1: date uh we have had uh, lots of conversations with uh uh, civic dialogue groups such as Living Room Conversations and Better Angels and Make America Dinner Again, all of these are wonderful grassroots groups that are trying to uh, bring together liberals and conservatives to have those difficult conversations. And so we really see ourselves as adding to that conversation, right? If a liberal and a conservative are living in their bubbles and then they get together and suddenly have to talk to each other, that's really hard. And we see the flip side as creating that shared knowledge space, that starting point on which a conversation can be built. Um, so, you know, it's hard to, as we say in our mission statement, right, it's hard to convince uh, conservatives to watch MSNBC and liberals to watch Fox. But if everybody across the nation is reading the flip side for five minutes a day, then there's a starting point for that conversation. So um, part of what I'm going to do is uh, hopefully deepen those relationships and see how we can uh, be helpful to those conversations. The other thing is, um, like I mentioned, I, I met James Toronto uh, at the Wall Street Journal at a networking event, and so I just need to go to more of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's through networking that I'm getting um, my speaking requests. I've spoken at uh, Columbia University and Harvard University. Um, I'm speak. I'm one of the featured featured speakers at a civic education conference in Florida, and all of those are uh, inbound uh, uh, versus me going out there and actually trying to uh, find. Uh, Such speaking engagements and conferences. And then, um, as you said, right, uh, we don't yet have any ads. So uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is actually uh, selling ad space um, on our newsletter at the bottom. It will say message from our sponsors, you know, buy pillows or what have you um, as a way to uh, uh, gain traction and revenue. Absolutely, and then uh, we're also going to make a video asking our readers to become monthly supporters um, because we get so many emails all the time asking how they can help, how they can volunteer their time, if they can support us financially. And and to date, we've always said, oh, just spread the word, just spread the word. Uh, but if they are ready, eager, and able, then, you know, why not have them contribute financially as well? So those are all steps we're taking, uh, immediately. Um, and also starting to do some paid advertising, uh, to see, you know, there's a huge untapped, uh, potential, we think, because right now our website conversion is 50 to 80%, which means 50 to 80% who get on our website are giving us their email address, right? That tells us there's a huge untapped need and polling data is, uh, reflecting that as well. We did some market research, um, uh, a while ago, describing the flip side and whether or not uh, people would, uh, you know, like that, and sixty-six percent of people said they would be very interested. So,
0: I think you could do a lot action. with um, some Facebook lead ads.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we just haven't had time because I've I've been so scatterbrained uh, between my day
0: job and the flip side. Um, so so it was time to take that leap. Well, that's exciting. I do think that you have <laughs> a lot of potential. I mean, I think there's a hunger for it right now because whether. You know whether well like it's like you said you know some somewhere I read that you know the more politically involved you are the more kind of hyper partisan your opinion may be but the rest of the country the normal people that aren't in the D.C. or New York bubble or whatever um, are much more middle ground are much more moderate are much more open to reason Um, and so that's like you know, most of the country. So yes, you, you certainly have that untapped market. And, and oh my goodness, there's so much like I, I want to like jump in there and help. But I'm like, but I don't have time. I have a job too. <laughs> you <laughs> don't
1: have time either. Yeah, exactly. But, oh, but I well. you know,
0: hopefully I'm helping with a, a little few listeners on on today's podcast. Um, I wanted to ask you just from my own curiosity. Uh, what does it mean to you? you? You identify as a liberal? What does that mean to you to say that you're a liberal? You know what? It's so interesting. Um,
1: I I believe in a strong uh, social safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe the government uh, can and should help people uh, however and whenever they can. Um, this is not to say that the government isn't uh, inefficient, that the government, um, you know, can't stand uh, to streamline, that uh, there aren't a lot of programs out there that um are adding to the waste and 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 I do worry about the deficit but at the end of the day that inefficiency if that means that more children are being fed that more people are able to to live because they can someone's there to you know take care of their health care bills then that trade-off is worth it to me uh, I think um, we, what you see when you have uh, unregulated markets um, as we saw during the financial crisis is that uh, capitalism needs uh, constraints. Um, there needs to be a strong role for regulators, for the government to step in and um, sort of make sure that the, the human tendency to hoard all resources are not at the expense of uh, fellow citizens who need a home, who need health care, who need uh, food on the table.
0: Okay. All right. No, I just was curious because I feel like people never <laughs> kind of directly answer that. And so, um, yeah. it's just interesting to hear from your own, you know, from your own perspective, what that means to you. Um, okay. Well, let me, we have a, just a couple questions left here. End mm-hmm. of the podcast questions I, I sent you. Uh, so hopefully yes. you've had a, a minute to think about those.
1: Yes, those. I have had a minute to think about. <laughs>
0: Good. I know sometimes when you spring them on people, they're just like, um, I don't know. So, uh, what is one message that you want to okay. pass on to the next generation? Um, never doubt that a fellow group of a
1: small group of committed citizens can't make a can't change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that uh, ever has, that really has stayed with me. Um, because, you know, there are so many people who want to make a difference, but think, Oh, I I can't change the world. Well, a you can right? like that history is full of examples of a small group of people who did in fact change the world. Mm Um, and then, At the same time, even if you can't change the world today, if you change your world, your small sphere of influence today, that could someday change the world, right? So there are multiple ways of thinking about that one quote uh, that I find uh, really interesting. Oh, Oh, I found it. I Googled it. It's, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has.
0: Yeah, and that starts with just believing that you can. Just having exactly. having the th- the fleeting thought and then and then moving on it. Hopefully after that, I think that's exactly. a great I think that's a great message. Uh, what's a favorite book that you've read? Doesn't have to be um, anything recent uh, mm-hmm. if you have one, or a book that you're reading now.
1: Yeah, there have been so many great books uh, over the years that have, have made a difference. But one book I read uh, that I uh, uh, frequently recommend to others is it's called "Weapons of Math Destruction." Mm-hmm. It's by uh, Kathy O'Neill, and it was really interesting because uh, on the one hand, everyone's talking about uh, technology and the role of technology, and there's two sort of modes of thought, right? One is, oh, the robots are going to take over and we're go- going to become slaves to the robots, and then the other is technology is going to solve all of our problems. Um, and what I really liked about Weapons of Math Destruction was it really broke down all of the the powerful and imperfect ways in which big data is influencing our lives. And it really, it breaks it down, It not at the sort of scholarly level, scholarly level but at the level where um, the average person uh, can really understand what's happening, um, whether it's in insurance markets or finance markets, or um, the whole plethora of decisions being made in hospitals, for example, right? And how big data we really need to be careful and thoughtful in how we use the immense uh,
0: powers that we've been bestowed with uh, yeah. these days. Yeah, it's it's really it's, it's hard to think about all the data <laughs> that's out there on oh each individual just based yeah. on every single action that we're taking right. every day um, that is seems to be recorded since so much right. of what we do is online and there's just binary thinking that big data is either
1: good or bad um and it really is how it's used and whether it's used thoughtfully and there're so many ways that data can be used to manipulate whatever you know hypothesis you want to pursue right um yeah. cherry picking which variables you're looking at or looking at only you know a small sect of the population and d- deciding um that that population reflects the whole population, for example, right? Those are all the ways in which big data can go wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. What is a, who is a person that you'd have dinner or drinks with any celebrity who and why? So I decided to steer clear of political celebrities because, <laughs> oh, my God, the,
1: the list is just too long. Yes. Um, but actually, recently, the flip side has been trying to get in touch with Chris Evans, uh, oh. the Captain America. Yeah. Um. I mean, OK, we love the Marvel movies, but actually it's because he has a new political uh, media venture he's starting. Oh, really? Um, yes. He's calling it a starting point. And he is interviewing uh, both Democrats and Republicans in Congress. Uh, doing, you know, one minute short videos to try to get them to, you know, advocate for specific issues and whatnot. And his plan is to put them all on one website so that people could use it, quote unquote, as a starting point. Uh, to see what the two sides are saying, and I thought, oh my God, this Perfect. guy would love the flip side. Exactly, you know, he can interview the lawmakers. We are surveying uh, the media landscape and seeing what the political pundits are saying. It would be an amazing collaboration
0: if only we knew how to get to uh, a celebrity. Yeah, it's so hard to <laughs> figure out how to like get in touch with someone that's not that that's so big. You know, you have to figure out who their exactly. PR rep is. This guy has over 10 million Twitter followers. Oh, my gosh. We've been
1: tweeting at him, but, like, I have no idea if he's seen it. Um, we, through multiple, you know, stalking channels, found his agent, his publicist, um,
0: publicist emails, and so we've emailed them, but no response. No response. Yep, yep. That Well, so. hey, maybe it'll work out. I, I remember years ago I was writing something, and I was like, I really need to get in touch with Beyonce. <laughs> Really? No, this was... tell me. Well, this must have been 2010. So it's so Mm -hmm. long ago. Probably would have been easier to get in touch with her then. Right, right. um, Just because less internet, less, you know, over... You know, everything wasn't so overpowering at that time. And I actually did reach some agent or publicist that worked for her and they actually responded to me and of course told me that she was not available (laughs) but but I was shocked that I even got that far so uh, well that sounds cool that's amazing Chris Evans might need to watch his back some of his friends in Hollywood might not like him talking to some of those people actually he is already getting backlash there were a few scathing articles that were written about his really well, I'm yep. gonna have to Google this as yep. soon as we hang up. But, oh, yeah, you should. It's it's fascinating. Well, I hadn't heard about it, but I like it. It sounds like something mm-hmm. I might even yeah, want to just for sure. like, you know write a little blog post about for um for for my job, which is Independent Women's Forum, is where I work. But we do we do have a section on our um on our for profit site, Independent Women's Voice, where we talk about you know the importance of dialogue and the importance of respecting both sides. And so that might be something I might want to mm. you know write about for them. So cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right. Any podcasts, TV shows, other things that you're into right now? So funny. There are actually there are so
1: many shows. um, You know, late night shows that I watch. Uh, It's so funny. I talk about arguing with uh, my team all day about politics, and then I like to go back into my echo chamber. So I watch Stephen Colbert and I watch (laughs) The Daily Show. Um, But I won't recommend those. I think those are mostly entertainment. Um, I periodically go through periods where I binge watch West Wing. Yeah. Um, so good. It's just it's such a wonderful show. And it especially is. lately, you have so much um, just just doom and gloom. I think it started with House of Cards. And then there's been a whole slew of other shows that take a really dark. On politics. Exactly. Yes. Like all of those things, right? That it's really, it's refreshing to go back and watch West Wing and really see, you know, government as can be at its best at its you know, most foolish at its most naive. And,
0: um, it just sort of is an ongoing inspiration that I use. <laughs> do you live in New York or DC? I, I live in New York. Okay. Cause I, when I watched the West Wing, I, I didn't watch it really while it was still on, but I did do a very fast binge watch and I oh. lived at the time lived in DC. So I lived there mm-hmm. for 10 years, but it was so cool watching it you know just living in the right. city and yeah it's so silly but it's like the you know all the time be like i was just walking down that street today yeah totally. you know it's it's really cool to be in the middle of it and then to watch you know obviously you know not a real story but um <laughs> so many real issues that they do deal with and just ugh, great characters there's never nothing exactly. will top the west Wing it's so ever. witty it's so cute it's it's just it has everything you need do you ever watch Bill Maher? i do I okay. have mixed feelings about Bill Maher. Oh but I really? Do watch- yes. <laughs> well, I love I love watching Bill Maher. Um, it's one of the shows that my husband, few shows that my husband and I can agree on oh, to watch together because so- we have very I think different think He's such feelings. a jerk, but he's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he has that
1: like that pompous way of speaking that's just so arrogant that like, you, you just
0: ah uh, you get angry, but then yes. you're like, oh, he makes great points. He does <laughs> often oh, yeah. make great points, and you have to respect him for he'll have exactly. anyone on. Um, exactly. Yes. I mean, I, I Ben Shapiro per- on the other day. What'd you say? What'd you say? He had Ben Shapiro on the other day. Oh, I miss. I miss that. I need to. Go it on, was. Uh, I
1: think it was a couple months ago now, but uh, it was really interesting.
0: Well, I. Um, not that this would have happened, but um, I last year I wrote a book, and so there was some publicity, and you ah. know they're trying to get me on shows, blah blah. blah and Ooh. they said this is a long shot, but like, would you be open to going on Bill Maher if somehow there was a spot because they're always looking for conservatives? And I was like, no. <laughs> Really? Because, well, because I'm just not, I'm not a seasoned or polished speaker um, on television by any means. Like, I've done very little. And I was like, I don't think I can hold my own if it's, like, me and Bill mm-hmm. Maher and I, who knows who else could be there. But, you know, obviously there's going to be a, a very lefty or two people there. Um, sure, so sure. I was a little terrified. I do, but I do think that he will have anyone on. I mean, he had... Pfft, he had Milo Yiannopoulos on he did I mean which he took a lot of plaque which I'm not even understand. saying that he should have had him I, on exactly yes thank you yeah like I don't <laughs> even know how I feel about that but you right. know it's just this whole concept of like let's talk I mean he had he had Ann Coulter on a few weeks ago so he did um that's you got to give him credit for that and then just like I'm are you are you um in tune to this whole intellectual dark web thing I am yeah that, that, that fascinates
1: me too. It's, yeah. To me, it's a really interesting um, conversation. And I think it's a conversation worth having. For example, like you said, and uh, I agree, the, Milo is not someone that I think is worthy of debate right, because he's right. just such a troll. His entire personality is a troll. Yeah. Um, there's nothing of value to be had in talking with him, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, obviously Sam Harris has important things to say, right? Uh, right. So, so
0: when you couple those things, people together under one umbrella, it's kind of strange. Yeah, I i kind of, if I was part of the uh, intellectual dark web, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want Milo to be like, right, as part and, of it. And, yeah, it's just so
1: fascinating. And I, uh, you know, it, it, it's great that we're having these conversations, you know, what are the limits of free speech? What ideas are worth discussing? You know, what is the Overton window, uh, so to speak? Uh, and, and I think it's interesting. And I think different people have different views on that. Um, but I I genuinely think it's a disservice when you have the Milos and the who Diamond and Silk be the spokesperson Yeah uh, for free speech like that is not helping your case
0: <laughs> No but there are such great smart people from both sides in right. that group um, Yes. And I like how it's taken off. Um, Like, I love Bari Weiss and um, so many of those people. So um, Dave Rubin is another one that I like. Um, But anyways, we could go on. Uh, (laughs) We've probably (laughs) lost a few people now that have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Um, You know, I know you're busy with the new gig and everything, but I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. I am a subscriber. Thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. Uh, I wish we could talk on for hours. I know. I know we definitely could talk longer and i hope that i can meet you sometime i know we're not in the same place but i am in dc a lot so if you're ever in dc for you know any any extended period of time definitely let me know and maybe we can meet up or just say hi or something oh sounds good definitely will. thank you so much all right well good luck with everything i'm looking forward to seeing how it goes Well, thanks for listening to today's conversation with Anafi. I hope you got something out of that. I thought it was really interesting, and I loved chatting with her. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating and review. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it means a lot more than that. I appreciate every rating and review I get. Thanks again, and until next week, hope you have a great day.